Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Hear now these words from the book of Acts. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I suspect every single person in this room has heard, knows, is familiar with the, the merits, the benefits of developing healthy habits and disciplines and routines. We've all been told to, to watch our calories and the benefits of exercising so many days a week. We've all been taught to set smart goals and to pursue them. We've been told the benefits of taking a daily multivitamin and drinking eight cups of water. We're told to maintain our cars according to uh, the maker's uh, uh, plans for the year. We know that we should go to the doctor for that annual physical, for those regular blood tests, the dentist for regular teeth cleaning and daily flossing. We've been taught to save money, to pay off debt. We've been told there's benefit to doing a daily devotional like summeroftheSpirit.com, hint, hint. We've been told we ought to take a weekly Sabbath. Now notice, I'm just naming things we've been told. I didn't ask you to raise your hand if you actually do it or not. We know the benefits of habits, disciplines, and routines, but whether or not we adopt them is another matter together. So I probably should confess to you that while I do know the value of those things and have benefited from them when I have done them routinely, there is something in my human nature, there is something within me that resists. There's something that me just fights against the idea of habits and routines. When I'm told to do this daily or that weekly or to give so many hours to this and never eat that but eat more of that, there is something that just automatically responds to me and says, heck no, I don't want to do that. Even if I know it's a good idea, 
There is something in me that resists, and I know that's crazy because when I've exercised, I do actually feel better. When I diet, I eat better and lose weight. When I do my daily devotions, I do feel closer to God, and my soul feels more resilient. And if I'm totally honest, I do know that every achievement that I've had in life has been because I have forced myself to those regular, consistent, disciplined practices or habits or studying or developing healthy routines. And I can't help but wonder how many I've not achieved, how many habit, how many successes I've not realized, how many failures have happened because I've not been willing to submit to a healthy routine. Now, there are some people that just seem uh, naturally inclined to be more rule keepers, to do what they're told. They were always teachers' pets in school, right? When the doctor says diet, they diet. When the dentist says floss, they floss. If they're told to take a vitamin, they take it daily. When the financial advisor suggests saving this much or investing this much or cutting this expense, they do it. When the state says, here are the rules for driving and the speed limit you're not to exceed, they have no issues. Some of us are not so fortunate. We find rules more burdensome, routines more boring, disciplines constraining. For some reason, some of us just seem to want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, even if we're doing it to our own detriment. As we read through the book of Acts this summer, we read over and over these descriptions of spiritual vitality and the rapid growth of the early church. Surely we must give a lot of credit to the hard work of those first apostles, newly empowered by the Holy Spirit. You have to remember that for for them, everything was new. Everything was undeveloped. Everything was really very unexpected. They really weren't prepared for Jesus to die and be resurrected. They didn't really know what was going to happen on Pentecost when they received the Holy Spirit. They couldn't possibly have been prepared for their own personal transformation as well as the transformation of people around them. The early church had to be innovative, flexible, adaptable, responsible to the quickly changing church and the world around them. But we also find in passages like today that in the midst of all of that movement and innovation, there were the early adoption of particular routines and behaviors. If you're paying attention as I read from Acts chapter 2, there were several behaviors that were mentioned specifically. It said that all the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds. Every day. How often? How often? Every day. They met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone, as a response to what the Holy Spirit was doing in their midst, 
they adopted basically three behaviors. One, the radical redistribution of wealth. They shared everything with one another. Two, they gathered, how often? Daily in the temple and in homes for worship, for prayer, for discipleship, for meals, for fellowship. And three, they served substantially, substantially, demonstrably in Jesus' name. My favorite seminary professor, Willie Jennings, taught on this particular passage saying, people caught up in the love of God not only began to give thanks for their daily bread, but daily offered to God whatever they had that might speak that gracious love to others. They gave thanks and they gave it away. As you read through the book of Acts, and particularly this description of the early church in Acts chapter 2, I wonder how would you compare that to the modern day church of America? How similar or dissimilar is church today to the early days of the Spirit-led, Spirit-filled church? It says that they met together daily. Surveys suggest that now in America, the average churchgoer goes about once a month. That's now the norm. And most churches now, post-pandemic, if that's where we are, are worshiping about 50% of what churches were worshiping prior to the pandemic. It says they shared everything with one another. Surveys indicate that, that the average church giver today gives about $42 a week, which is about $2,100 annually. That's not bad. That's not chump change. Thank you if you give that much or more. But it does seem to fall short of sharing everything. Clearly, their newfound faith in Jesus Christ and living in the, the movement of the Holy Spirit was of highest priority. In fact, many of us can think back to times in our life, prior generations, where church was a much higher priority for more people. Most everybody we knew went to church. Most everybody who we knew who went to church went more frequently, were involved at a higher level. Can we admit that more modern Christians treat church a whole lot more casually than they did in the season of Acts 2? How do we expect to have a deep, dynamic, spirit-filled experience of God if we treat church so casually? Now, I need to say, I realize I'm preaching to the proverbial choir today. You're here. Thank you for that. Maybe you know someone who will need to hear this sermon. You can recommend the video or not, depending on how you feel about it. Now, here's an irony. When I hear lots of people talk about life in the Spirit, the movement of the Holy Spirit, they seem to associate the Holy Spirit with spontaneity. That the Spirit moves when the Spirit wants to move, and we better get on board. We know that passage from the Gospel of John where Jesus said, the Spirit is like a wind that blows and you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. 
Well, all of that is true, but when did we get the idea that somehow that kind of spontaneity is an opposite to preparing and planning? I can't tell you how many well-intentioned Christians through the years have said to me, Pastor Vance, you don't need to spend so much time preparing your sermons. Just get in the, in the pulpit and let the Spirit speak. I disagree. Where did we get the idea that the Holy Spirit somehow is averse to planning and to discipline? It just seems like a spiritualized excuse for sloppy preparation. Now, much of what happened in the book of Acts did happen unexpectedly. And we ought to live with that same sense of healthy, unexpected expectation of the Spirit today. But throughout the book of Acts and beyond, encounters with the living Holy Spirit of God often led to lives that were more disciplined, to routines that were life giving, not in a legalistic kind of way, but in a way that led to greater vitality. Some of you may know the, the, the business classic, the book Good to Great by Jim Collins. There's an interesting quote in that book. He says, good to great companies or organizations, including churches, good to great companies rents their cottage cheese. Anybody rents their cottage cheese? That's a weird behavior, by the way. I don't like cottage cheese. He came up with this idea based on a six-time Ironman winner named Dave Scott, who in his work as a triathlete always rinsed his cottage cheese in order to eliminate some of the fat content. He was very careful about his diet. Now, nutritionists will tell you there is very little benefit to rinsing your cottage cheese, that the amount of fat that you get rid of is really negligible. But Jim Collins' point is that it didn't have anything to do with how much fat he did or didn't eat. It had to do with his attention to the small things. His commitment to the small things is what made him a great triathlete. He says, great organizations, anybody that wants to achieve something of greatness needs to pay attention to the small things. Last week, I saw an interview on TV with Kevin Durant. You know Kevin Durant? Basketball player, plays for the Brooklyn Nets. He is an exceptional basketball player. He's won two NBA championships. He's been the NBA MVP to finals MVP awards, two NBA All-Star Game MVP awards, four NBA scoring titles, NBA Rookie of the Year award, 12-time NBA All-Star, and three Olympic gold medals. Not bad. He's just getting started, right? What struck me during this interview was that he said, during the off-season, he can get out of shape in just three weeks. Isn't that something? Wouldn't you think, you know, off-season, take a little break. But he said, if I want to be MVP, if I want to win championships, I have to stay in top shape as a basketball player year-round, in-season, and out-of-season. Or perhaps you know the book Outliers, the story of success by Malcolm Gladwell. In it, he says, those who achieve a high level of excellence— 
mastery in any field, from music to, to business to the arts, whatever it might be, requires on average 10,000 hours of practice before achieving greatness. This has been true included in the spiritual realm. Every major move of the Spirit has been accompanied by higher degrees of spiritual discipline. In fact, that's how Methodists got our name. When our founders, John and Charles Wesley, were attending Oxford studying for the priesthood, they'd gather very early in the morning with some of their peers to pray, to study the scriptures, to hold each other accountable, to fast. And then during the day, they'd go out together to to serve the poor, to go to the sick house, to go to the prisons. Their less disciplined classmates started making fun of them. They started calling them Methodists, because they were so methodical in their spirituality. It was a term of derision that later was adopted. That's who we call ourselves. When the Methodist movement really took up steam, it was characterized very much like the same things we find in Acts chapter 2. Frequent gatherings throughout the week for worship, learning, accountability, Regular, several times a week, gathering to observe the Lord's Supper. Daily personal prayer and study. Regular generosity, service to the poor, and lives that were being transformed. Methodists worked particularly among the poorest of the poor, among whom drunkenness and gambling were epidemic-type problems. But as Methodists took on more disciplined lives. They gave up their gambling and drunkenness. And sociologists believe that the the development of the middle class in England was very much in large part due to Methodists who lived more methodical lives and rose from some of their brokenness. I found this week a, a quote by an early Methodist preacher named Robert Miller who was talking about meeting John Wesley earlier in his life. And it goes like this. The first time I had the pleasure of being in company with John Wesley was in the year 1783. I asked him what must be done to keep Methodism alive when he was dead, to which he immediately answered, the Methodists, must take heed of their doctrine, their experience, their practice, and their discipline. If they attend to their doctrines only, they will make people antinomians. Write that down, Google it when you get home, antinomians. If to the experiential part of religion only, they will make them enthusiasts. If to the practical part only, they will make them Pharisees. And if they do not attend to their discipline, they will be like persons who bestow much pains in cultivating their garden, but put no fence around it to save it from the wild boar of the forest. Did you catch that? He's saying that undisciplined spiritual living is like planting a garden without putting a fence around it and just letting the wild pigs come and eat and root around. Or maybe we might say it's like being a basketball player, lazy in the offseason, but still expecting to win the championship and be the MVP. Or like trying to be a triathlete without rinsing your cottage cheese. Or having a lack 
of disciplined spiritual practice, worship, fellowship, study, generosity, but expect holiness without effort. It's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer referred to as cheap grace. We're saved by grace, but there's also an opportunity to respond to grace with the way we live. Bonhoeffer said, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is the grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Perhaps it's like following Jesus for all the benefits, but forgetting that he said, if anyone be my follower, you must take up your cross daily and follow me wherever I go. Let me ask you a question, and and this is a serious question. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you think it just happens automatically? Or does it take some intention and effort? Do you wish to be more spiritually aware, more spiritually awake, more spiritually tuned in? Do you want to be the kind of person who's more kind, more generous, more patient, more loving? Do you want to have deeper relationships? Do you want to have a sense of purpose in your life? Do you want more peace, more faith, more trust? Do you want to have stronger convictions so when you're in those situations where you need to speak with confidence, you can? Well, all of that is possible. God wants that for all of us, and it's possible to the degree that we develop regular habitual spiritual routines that produce that in our life. As long as we treat our Christianity in a, in a haphazard way, well, that's exactly what we'll get. God doesn't hold back. Casual Christianity is us holding back on God. So Acts 2.47 says, because of all these particular behaviors, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. People saw what was happening and they wanted a part of it. Somewhere along the line between Acts 2 and today, the modern church fall, fell into a false idea that high standards and high expectations are unattractive to modern churchgoers. Somewhere along the line, we thought that lowering the bar of expectation might result in more participation. But the opposite has actually been the case. Whether we're talking about the book of Acts or the early Methodists or any church that has thrived throughout history, every great move of the Spirit has been accompanied by more disciplined devotional practices and church participation, never less. Some of you have been around this church for a long time. I'd like for you to think back to seasons when this church has been its strongest when this church has been its most spiritually vital, its spiritually healthiest times. I'm willing to bet during those seasons, members attended more regularly, gave more generously, and served more actively. I'm willing to bet more folks visited and joined. 
That's the first United Methodist Church of Orlando that I joined back in August of 1989. That's the first church that I long to lead into the future. And so I close with these words of our founder, John Wesley, in hopes that they might still be true today. John Wesley said, I continue to dream and pray about a revival of holiness in our day that moves forth in mission and creates authentic community in which each person can be unleashed through the empowerment of the Spirit to fulfill God's creational intentions. Who wouldn't want that? Let's pray and let's act that it might be true. Let us pray. So Holy Spirit, would you come and help us to be more fully alive? Would you set a fire here within us? Would you kindle something new within us? Would you return us to the spirit of the Acts 2 church that we might be more on fire for you? Come and help us and find willing partners, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website, at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.